Man, we just finished quite a year, didn't we? It's crazy to watch a, a three-minute video of the highlights of 2018 and think about all that has happened in our city, in our country, and the world. And, and you know, that little video just, just scratches the surface. Each one of us, each one of us, we could, do a, we could do a personal film of the highlights and the lows of our year, and if we played it on the screen, we would all be laughing together and crying together. We'd be thanking God for his great blessings in our life, and sometimes we'd be wondering, what in the world is God up to? What's, what's going on? in our lives. There's a family in our community asking that question. Kirk and I were involved in a memorial service yesterday for a friend of mine I've known for years and coached with who uh, got sick on December the 7th and passed away on January the 1st. And his family's still wondering what in the world just happened. As we live in our culture in we live through all the stuff that goes on in our personal lives, we have to ask the question individually and as a church, we have to continually ask the question, how, how are we doing in all this? Are, are we really making an impact for Jesus Christ? That's our calling, isn't it? Are we really making an impact for Jesus Christ in our world and in our worlds, our network of family and friends? Are, are, we, are we following the call? Do we know the call? And are we following the call that God has placed on our lives? Just like we have a fingerprint, we have a specific call that God has placed on our lives. And only you, only me, we're, we're the only ones who can, who can do what God's called us to do. About eight months ago, the elders and staff started taking very serious look at these questions. We're not in crisis as a church. By all church measurements, we're very healthy. But we're not satisfied with the status quo. We're not status, satisfied just to go along to get along. We desire to do things with excellence, and we desire to do things with effectiveness. We're always looking to do things better because that's our mandate from Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to what? Do it to the glory of God. That verse screams with urgency, it screams with focus, and it screams with excellence. Everything we do needs to bring honor to God. And so the elders, we begin to ask questions using the platform of health, the platform of strength that we had. We took a deep dive evaluation. We started asking questions like, are, are we doing, are we really doing everything to the glory of God? Are we leading well? Are we teaching well? Are we shepherding where well? Are we caring for all of you well? Or are we addressing the issues of the next generations? There are some serious issues that we have to speak into for the next generation. 
Are we using our resources well? We don't have unlimited resources. Are we, are we pinpointing them at a place where they are most effective? Are, are, we, are we developing followers of Jesus Christ? That's our mission. We exist. We say often we exist to develop followers of Jesus Christ. Are we, are we really doing that? As you know, we brought in an outside group to help us with those questions, and, and, and we, we knew that the elders and the staff and leaders, we would not be the best ones to answer all those questions, and so we opened it up to you, and we had about 1,300 people give input. We are so thankful for the number who did that. And we considered every response, and we started looking for echoes, the, the repeated themes, not just anecdotals here or there, I like this or I like that, but what we heard over and over and over again. And those, from those repeated themes, from those echoes, we derived three major things, three major goals to focus on over the next few years. And that's what I want to share with you today as we kick off this brand new year of 2019. And then you're going to have the opportunity, after we talk about this today, you're going to have the opportunity to meet, we'll meet in smaller groups in January 14, 15, and 20, to clarify, to hone, to give feedback to these three major goals. Now, to get us started, I want to build a framework for these major things we are going to be diving into. And so take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you would ask us as a church, what's your philosophy of ministry? Why do you do ministry? Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16 is the philosophy of ministry of our church and should be of every church. As Paul writes this to this church in Ephesus, he gives the reason why we do what we do. And I want to read verses 11 through 16. Let it kind of soak in your mind and in your heart, and then we're going to go back and look specifically at these verses. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he, Paul is talking about God, and God gave the apostles, and God gave the prophets, and God gave the evangelists, and the shepherds, and teachers. And here's why. He gave those gifts to the church. Now, there are four gifts mentioned there. There are a lot of other gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. We won't look at those today, just these four. But he gave these gifts for a reason. Look at the next verse. He gave these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. These gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. And then Paul gives a commentary on that in the rest of these verses. We're going to do that until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or personhood, that's generic, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. We've got to be anchored. We've got to be solid in what we believe. Paul says, rather, 
We don't want to do, we don't want to be tossed about, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Man, there's a lot in this passage. Let me just hit some highlights to frame the goals that we're going to look at. Now, the first thing I want us to see in this passage is that Paul is talking about two aspects of the church. When you hear the word church, there are two aspects of the church. There's the church, let's just call it Church Big C. Church Big C. And the Church Big C is the church universal. Every believer, regardless of where they live on planet Earth, every believer is part of the church Big C. That's the big body of Christ. And there's also the church Little C. And the church Little C, huh, okay, there we go. No, that's not it. There we go. The church, little c, is the local congregation. That's us. And a lot of churches like us, right? So does that make sense? You have the church, big c, universal church, and then you have the church, little c, local congregations. Now, the first two gifts that Paul talks about in these, uh, this passage in chapter 4, verse 11, is the church, big c. And he mentions the apostles and the prophets. The apostles were those who had three distinct characteristics. If you're an apostle, there were three distinct characteristics. Number one, Jesus looked you eyeball to eyeball, face to face, in person, in flesh, and called you to be one of his messengers. You had to be with Jesus, specifically called by Jesus. Secondly, you had to have a supernatural gift. And so you look at the apostles, and they went around, and they could heal people, and they could do things that we can't do today. They had a supernatural gift. And the third thing, you had to have seen the risen Lord in person. You had to have seen the risen Lord. So that gives a small group of people, the 12 apostles, Guys like Paul, Barnabas, some others who lived in the New Testament times, and they were the ones God gave to the church big C, and we'll see in a minute, as the, as the ones who laid the foundation. Think of, think of building a building. These are the ones who laid the foundation for the building. The prophets did the same thing. The prophets were those who God gave supernatural revelation to, brand new revelation. In the Old Testament, you see the prophets. A lot of times uh, they gave warning. Sometimes they gave encouragement. They said, what's go here's what's going to happen. If you do this, here's what's going to happen. If you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. And by the way, in the world, here's what's going to happen. There were a few prophets in the New Testament, John the Baptist being one. He said, one is coming who is greater than I. There were a few other prophets we see early on, but we see the prophets ending when the New Testament is complete. Next week, we're going to talk about the New Testament and why we believe the Bible. We're going to look a little, uh, at it from an apologetical way, why we believe the Bible to be true. 
why it is a book, a revelation of God that we can depend on. So when the scripture is complete, we don't need the prophets anymore. Now you say, why, how can you say that? Well, I didn't say it. Paul said it. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. He says, he already said this before he gets to chapter 4, the church, big C, was built, past tense, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a fantastic verse. Just think about what's going on here. First of all, Paul says, church, big C, the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets with Jesus being the cornerstone. And the church, little c, is being, present tense, joined together, and it is growing, present tense, into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are, present tense, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's an amazing verse. So we have the foundational gifts of the Spirit that God, the foundational gifts of apostles and prophets that God gave, and the next is evangelists. Evangelists are those who didn't have a local church, but they went from place to place, from location to location, from church to church sometimes, sharing the message of Jesus. The passion of the evangelist is telling others about Jesus. We see in our present day, some present day evangelists, Billy Graham, who just passed away this, this last year, he would have been a prime example of an evangelist. He wasn't associated with a, with a particular church, but he went around sharing. Global workers are today's evangelists. They are going throughout the world. Our missionaries are global workers. They are going throughout the world. They are sharing Jesus Christ with people and, and tribes and, and, and areas where, where he's not known. And they're telling people about Christ. And they're, and they're bringing people into a walk with Jesus and then getting them involved in church. And that's the last thing, pastors, teachers, and that's just one uh, gift. Notice this, he gave, the next verse here, he gave the apostles, the article says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then the shepherds and teachers. And so we often just put a slash there, pastor, teacher, or shepherd, teacher. And this is a group who is settled in a local church. And so God gives certain people to lead, to teach, to care for those in a local church. So we have the foundational gifts. That makes sense? And then the ongoing gifts. And that brings us to the job description of the pastor-teacher. It's in the next verse. The job description of the pastor teacher in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 is this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let's just stop there a second. To equip the saints, the saints are all believers, for the work of ministry. Whatever work of ministry God has for you in your home, in your place of 
uh, in your office, in your school, at the church, in the community, whatever thing God has for you, the job of the pastor teacher is to equip. That word equip is a great word. Back in chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, it says that Jesus called James and John, and they were mending, that same word, they were mending or they were equipping their nets. They were preparing their nets. They were getting them ready, not just to fold up and put back in the boat, right? They were getting their nets ready to go fishing, to do the work that God had called them to do. And so when he says, Paul says, that we are to equip the saints for the work of the church, it's the equipping, it's the mending, it's the preparation to do the work that God has called us to do. And we do that until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We keep going. We keep maturing. We want to make sure we are farther along this year than we were last year. We want to make sure we are growing. We have two uh, 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 grandchildren, and we had a great time with him uh, over, over uh, Christmas. And our little grandson... Uh, he's just starting to say some words. Uh, truck and car car are his big ones. So car car is, uh, is our new word for cars. And so um, it's pretty cool to hear him talking. And, and when, he, when he says a word, we just like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? Now, what if next Christmas he's still saying car car? And then what if the next Christmas... He's still saying, car, car. The things that gave us so much joy are now going to what? Give us reason for concern. You're not growing like you should. When a Christian who's been a Christian for five years or ten years is still saying the spiritual equivalent of car, car, it's reason for concern. We are to grow up. We are to mature into mature manhood, personhood. We are to grow in our, in our knowledge and our faith. We are to become more like Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? It's important so that we will no longer be children will no longer be tossed by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. We have to be anchored. We have to be those who don't fall for every new teaching. We have to be those who, when we go through a challenge in life, stand firm because there's maturity there, there's strength there, there's an anchor there, and we're not blown around by every wave of doctrine. Lori and I were traveling a little bit this uh, uh, over the holidays, and we listened to a podcast, and it was about a cult that's been outed. And this cult was a self-help cult. And it was amazing. There were all kinds of people uh, in this cult. And people would spend literally $10,000 
to get a video for this, for this, for this teaching that would, that would bring them up to a new level of, of, of understanding themselves and understanding the world around them. Uh, they, they were, the cult was filled with, with millionaires and, and, and celebrities and, and people who, who, were, who were stars in television programs and movies. And they were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. The leader fancied himself as the smartest man in the world. When, when a person says they're the smartest man in the world, that's probably a, a tip-off. That is not a good thing, right? And in the end, he's charged for sex trafficking, forced labor, not to mention a, a lifestyle of, of promiscuity. So the trial for the leader, this guy named Keith Rainier, and a TV star named Allison Mack, who was his second in command, their trial starts in March of this year. Now, it was interesting because the podcast dealt with a person who had gotten into this cult and then had come out of it. And, 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 and throughout the seven-part series, she keeps saying, why did I get into this? How could I have been so foolish? And it talked about why people get into cults in the first place. Again, we're talking about smart people. But it said that every person who gets into a cult has this part of them, what they called a seeker. They're not settled. They're always looking for something more. They're always looking for that mysterious it that will fix their lives, that will get them to this next level of leadership, that will get them to this next level of self-awareness. And they get tricked into these self-help techniques with these gurus, leadership gurus, and they get reeled in. And that happens to a lot of Christians, doesn't it? Always looking for the next thing. Always, always following the next Christian celebrity. Always looking at the next Christian self-help book, The Seven Ways of Effective Prayer, The Seven Ways to Fix Your Marriage, The Seven Ways uh, for, for a for a deeper spiritual walk or a Christian exercise program or a Christian diet program or a Christian prayer formula or a Christian pyramid scheme, some get-rich-quick endeavor, prosperity theology, a new twist on an old truth. You know what a new twist on an old truth is? It's called heresy. And it's dangerous. And we have to be those who know the real thing so well that we can spot the counterfeit. You see, Paul says that there's something lasting here. He says we have to be those not who are tossed around by every new wave of, of teaching, but we have to be those who speak the truth in love. Let's just stop there a second. That is so significant. Speak the truth in love. Now, some people can speak the truth but not in love, right? The good news spoken harshly is received as what? Bad news. Some people can speak the love but no truth. Eh, we're all good. We're all fine. Whatever you want to do, that's just great. Paul says... The mature believer speaks the truth, doesn't ever back down on the truth, but speaks the truth in 
love. That is what builds the body. Check this out. Speaking the truth in love, by the way, if you'll help me with my clock there because I know I'm not finished yet and it says I have no time left and that would really be a bad thing if that's true. All right, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. So we grow up in Jesus, not in a Christian celebrity, not in a new self-help stuff. We grow up into Christ. We get in his word. We read his word. And from Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every joint, which, and now we're back to being equipped, which is equipped. When every part is working properly, that makes the body grow. Check this out. This is significant stuff. So that the body itself, that, that the body builds itself up in love. See what Paul has just said there? The body builds what? The body. The body builds the body. Say that with me. The body builds the body. Okay, like you really mean it this time. You ready? The body builds the body. It's not top down. It's flat. It's all of us working together to build the body of Jesus Christ. It's not a ministry we have or some pastoral staff we have. We are equipping each other to build up each other. Now, think about that. Think about how, how, how that makes sense. When I went and ran this morning, my body was building my body. My body was working to build my body. When you exercise, your body is building your body. When you nourish yourself, your body is building your body. And so that same metaphor is used with the church. The body builds the body. Ephesians chapter 4. We equip each other for the work of the Lord. Okay, with that framework, three goals that we want to address uh, over these next years. These are not fancy goals. These are the goals that we heard loud and clear from you as you gave input, as we gave input together regarding the things that are, that, that, that are, that are going well and the things we really got to work on. Here's the first one. Goal number one, increase the investment and intentionality in the growth, in the health, growth, and development of our staff and key leaders. Now, why is that important? Increase the investment and intentionality in the health, growth, and development of our staff and key leaders. Why is that important? Because staff and key leaders are the shepherds, teachers we see in Ephesians 4, and we must appropriately be equipped in order to effectively serve the church family and equip the church family. Does that make sense? We have to do a better job at equipping our staff so that our staff can better equip our body so that the body can build the body. We've had for years our staff verse, Psalm 78, 72, David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. And so when we do things with our staff uh, to encourage our staff and build our staff, we always talk about we want to encourage the heart first, 
but we also want to provide the right skills to minister effectively. And quite honestly, I confess, we've gotten away from some of that. We've not done as good a job at uh, building the staff and equipping the staff to better minister to the body at large. And we're going to, we heard that. And we're going to do a better job. That's one of our goals. Together, as we work through this process, we're going to do a better job at equipping ourselves to minister to the body. We have spread ourselves thin over the last years. We started a lot of ministries. We've done a lot of stuff. It's been fun. It's been exciting. But as we've been doing all this out here, we neglected this right here. And so we haven't cared for you like we should. We haven't communicated like we should. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We outkicked our coverage. And we've got to go back and make sure that we are equipping our staff in order that our, our staff to equip the body because the body builds the body. Here's a second goal. Increase the development and intentionality to empower all uh, campuses. Increase the intentionality to, um, in, intentionality to empower all of our campuses for local ministry. Here's the why. Each campus must develop local leadership, local resources, and do local ministry. We, we love the multi-site model. And there's a lot of strength regarding the multi-site model, working together and sharing resources, and that's going to continue. However, we've been a little bit too much top-down, and we are going to make sure that every campus who has a distinct personality and is surrounded by unique opportunities are better able to develop leaders, develop their resources, and serve their community. The ministry opportunities in our campus vary. The ministry opportunities in DeBerry are completely different than ministry opportunities in Washington. Wilkinsburg and Robinson are 17 miles apart as the crow flies, but worlds apart in culture. Opportunities to do things differently. Ross Traver, located in the Mon Valley, had, uh, has a, a history of ministry that we want to honor and a brand new set of opportunities that we want to embrace. So, so for, 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 for effective ministry to happen, we have to focus more on local leadership, depending more on local resources, and then taking our strengths of working together, be able to better do local ministry. Does that make sense? We have to do that here in the South Hills as well making certain we are raising up the leaders that, that we need for the growth that God gives us. Now, again, we're going to have opportunities to clarify, give feedback, to hone these goals in the meetings we're talking about. But today, I just want to give you them in kind of a big picture way. And here's the last one. Significantly improve. We heard you loud and clear on this one significantly improve our process for connection and assimilation. And why do we need to do that? Because people need to belong. And people need to grow. 
And we need to serve if we're going to experience purpose and meaning in our lives. Now, we heard you loud and clear on that. We are not communicating effectively. It's hard to get connected, particularly in the South Hills. It's a challenge to find opportunities to use your gifts. That's not the type of church we want to be. In many ways, we have depersonalized the process through digital means instead of personal touch. Now, a couple weeks ago, when I was doing a sermon on um, the serving towel, some of you were here, at the 9 o'clock service, I didn't say it at the Saturday night, and I didn't say it at 1045, but at the 9 o'clock service, I said something that I want to clarify. In fact, I'd like to just delete it. It's impossible. But I went away from my notes. It's always a dangerous thing to do. And here's what I said. I was talking about all the ministries we have involved here at the church, and I said, we have too many ministries. And I said, if you're not involved in a ministry, that's on you. That was a really stupid thing to say. Shepherds don't say that. Shepherds don't take a flock out and that sheep that gets lost say, hey, if you want to get back with us, go check out the website. The, 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 the shepherd goes after the sheep. And so we want to do a better job at pursuing every member of our church, pursuing every member to make sure that you are using your gifts, that we're using our gifts together, that the body is building the body. Invite you to the next step of involvement, whether at our church or your place of work or in the community, but using your gifts, equipping you to use your gifts. We want to pursue you to do that. Shepherd pursues congregation. Now, if you're a first time here and you're saying, oh my goodness, I just want to check this out. I don't want stock. We're not going to do that. But we're talking about those who've been coming, those who are involved. Our job is to challenge. Our job is to do in a variety of ways to encourage you and inspire you and motivate you to serve. When I was in seminary, a guy named Howard Hendricks, a great professor, uh, he, he always said the word teach, the word teach means cause to learn. So when I hear a teacher say, oh, man, I, I had a terrible classroom, and, 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 my, and there I got kids, and they're not learning anything, what's the issue there? Not the kids. It's the teacher because the teacher causes to learn. And so we want to do a better job at causing to learn. We together want to do a better job at leading to inspire and motivate to get involved. we got things to do. We got hills to take, but we have to do it together. We have to communicate better. We have to, we have to encourage. We have to equip. We have to make sure that people are connected and, and there's a place of belonging so that when you go through a challenging time, you're not on your own. There are people walking with you. I always, I, I, I'm always amazed when you study uh, different um, uh, segments of, uh, of our population. Today, it's the millennial population. It's the Z group now, too, but the millennial population. And, and you read these things, and it's like, oh, this great research went out. The millennial group, they just want to belong. Well, don't you remember the baby boomer research? The baby boomer research was the baby boomers, they just want to belong. Remember Cheers? 
where everybody knows your name and everybody's glad you came, the local bar, and everybody wants a place to belong. That's just, that's not a millennial thing or a boomer thing or a Gen X thing. That's like a human nature thing. Finding a place to belong, being encouraged, using a gift, those are the things we want. It's amazing when we ask when we ask, when we challenge ourselves to do things, what happens? The so mercy, mercy fund. So, so every Christmas Eve, we take a mercy fund, right? And that fund is just for uh, uh, money set aside for the next year, so 2019, to, to help people who are going through a challenging time, help people who um, uh, maybe lose a job, help people who are going through a health issue. And this year, together, we gave 98000 $582. Yeah. And my favorite part of that is, and one cent. We do that together. We have a baby bottle challenge coming up. Our record is $28,000 for a baby. We have a new partner with choices. And we want to break that record so that we can say we break a record. No, so we can provide more resources to the front lines of those who are saving babies. And we can do that together. <laughs> what happened? Huh? What? A baby just cried. Okay, I missed that. I was zoned out. But that was a good time. Be sure to come to the meetings. I got one last thing to say. Here's the last why. Why do we want to do these things? Why is this important? Well, one, we got to care for each other. Our videos in 2000, I'm no prophet. <laughs> it's not a gift today, right? But I'm certain that our videos for 2019 are going to have some ups, right? And some, and some tough times. That's just the way life is. And we need to do that together. We need to care for one another, encourage one another, support one another. We have to do it together. But here's another reason. The bottom line is this, and we have to come to grips with it, and we have to deal with it effectively. The church, Big C, is losing ground. We're losing ground in our country. We're losing ground around the world. The Pew, the Pew Research Center conducts polls concerning religious issues. In their last survey, they found that religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are the fastest growing group in our country. Religious nuns, they break them down into three areas, atheists, agnostics, and nothing. I don't believe in anything. NBC Dateline's cold case expert, J. Warner Wallace, is also a Christian apologist. And he says that when nuns are asked why they, why they don't believe in God or why they don't believe that that God has an, um, an influence in their life, they say, well, my faith has evolved. 
or I have evolved, or I had a crisis in faith. And here's some of the things they say. Um, learning about evolution when I went away to college, that, that, that made me kind of become a nothing. Religion is an opiate of the people. Rational thought makes religion go out the window. Lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. I just realized somewhere along the line, I, I really didn't believe in That's what I hear the most. You know, I don't know what happened. Just somewhere along the line, I just stopped believing it. I'm doing a lot of learning and studying and kind of making decisions myself rather than listening to someone else. You ever heard those? That's what people are saying. We're losing ground. Here's what Wallace challenges us with. Ex-Christians often leave the church because they don't think anyone, again, personal, isn't it? They don't think anyone in the church can answer their questions or make a case. It's time for believers to accept their responsibility to explain why Christianity proposes, what Christianity proposes, and why these propositions are true, especially when interacting with young people who have legitimate questions. Rather than embracing a blind and unreasonable faith, Christians must develop an informed, Wallace says, forensic faith that can stand up in the marketplace of ideas. We know why young Christians are leaving. Now it's time to give them a reason to stay. Guys, we got to do that. This church will not be here in 50 years unless we do that today. We won't exist because our kids growing up over there in the nursery, if we don't allow them to be grounded firmly in the faith, and unless we are grounded and show them what that looks like in real life, they're going to be saying the same things on this sheet. I don't know. At some point in my life, it just didn't make sense to believe anymore because I didn't see it working. And those kids that we have over there and in our junior high and in 56 and in high school and young adults, that's the group we have to focus on, and that's the group we have to capture. Or we're not going to have church. That's the big why. And those who are serious about their Christian faith don't think about just today and what they liked about today and what their needs are today. Those who are serious about their Christian faith look to the future and say, what am I doing today to make sure tomorrow... And the people in tomorrow, my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren that I may never see, have a grounding in the truth. That's the why. What we do today is what we leave tomorrow. I have taken all the time. And it's because of the clock. I'll blame it on that. So Kirk's not going to come out and sing our last song. We're just going to close. So I'm going to ask you to do three things as you go. Number one, sign up on one of these sheets 
so you can be a part of this thing. We got to do this together. Take a baby bottle. Fill that thing up. Coins work, but we have found dollar bills fit in there just as well. Big bills, larger bills. Be sure to stop by in the lobby. If you're a member of our church, be sure. Here's your assignment. Stop by. We have new partners, and we want to welcome them. Stop by and thank them as a member of the church for their new partnership. Also, take some time to go out in the uh, parking lot and check out that mobile unit. That's, that's a tremendous strategy, that mobile unit, going to the different communities. All right? Sorry we can't sing a last song. We'll sing two or three next week. Let's stand and we'll go. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who cares about our today, but you care about our tomorrow as well. And what we do today will impact tomorrow. Lord, just remind us that it's the body building the body. We are all involved in this thing. And as we go, help us be those who demonstrate to a watching world what it looks like to truly follow hard after Jesus. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Staff and elders will be up here to pray with you. If you have anything to pray about, we'd love to do that. We'll see you next time. It's all by your design, I'm starting